Thanks, Will. Hi, everybody. How we doing? That was a question. <laughs> One of the things that, uh, uh, thanks, Keith and Patricia, explains a lot. One thing I uh, deeply appreciate about these kind of content times at ACM is um, there's, there's no main speaker. You know, there's no plenary, you know, person who, uh, you know, gets the main address. And um, everybody sort of gets a slot. There are no headliners. And everybody's just trying to move the needle a little bit, help, you know, help get the team down the field. Um, that's, I really I enjoy that aspect among many others. Um, I just wish I were a musician. <laughs> right, watching these guys up here, it's like, man, that's just so, that's great. So for my part uh, th this afternoon and, and uh, this weekend, I'd like to explore some ways that we can live a with you life towards the Lord. Have you ever found yourself praying, Lord, please be with so-and-so? That's a perfectly fine prayer. It's one I use myself, but I find myself using that prayer less often because God's already answered it. So now, I'm instead of or not instead of, in addition to praying, Lord, please be with, you know, so-and-so, whatever they're facing, I find myself praying, Lord, please help so-and-so to be with you, to understand what it means that they can learn to live with the Lord who has already committed himself to being with them. And as all, we've already heard this afternoon and this weekend, God's actually with everybody. And the struggle, if I could put it that way, the struggle's not to get God to be with me, it's to get me to learn how to be with him. And so that's what I wanna explore a little bit um, this afternoon. And so first big idea, is one of the great secrets of following Jesus is this. You always get to be a beginner. Isn't that good news? In every situation you find yourself in, God says, willing to be a beginner in this? I love that. Right? We live in an expertise-driven uh, you know, economy and world, and the church sometimes is the worst generator of this need to be an expert. But what if all Jesus really asks of you is, you willing to be a beginner? And by being a beginner, I don't mean... Um, that your experiences don't matter, that you haven't learned anything, that God hasn't entrusted invaluable gifts to you. 
And I don't mean when I say we just get, we're invited to be beginners. It's not do it all over again. Take your piece on the board, you know, all the way back to the start and do it all over. That's not what I mean. You just get to be a beginner. It's, it's lovely. I, I love that about the Lord. The gospel frees us to be beginners. The challenge is not my supposed expertise, but my humility, my willingness to depend afresh on the Lord, not on myself, my willingness to embrace the awkwardness and even sometimes the pain that always accompanies real learning and growth. My willingness to have something added to me rather than feeling I already need it, I need to have it all and I'm already complete. In a sense, my willingness to become like a child. Now I want to get after this a little bit by um, talking about Jacob. So picture a solitary figure traveling alone through the wilderness. Night is falling. He's obviously tired from the many miles already traveled that day. So he finds a quiet spot, grabs a rock for a pillow, and falls asleep. You know the story. He's, he's Abraham's grandson, Isaac's second born, although only by a couple of minutes. And he arrives in the biblical story already carrying the promise of God. Before he's done anything, while he's still in his mother's womb fighting with his brother, his mother prays, Lord, what's going on in here? And the Lord says, you've got two nations inside of you. The older will serve uh, the young. No, no, sorry. The older will serve the younger, right? I got that right. Okay, the older will, yeah, that's right. I, that, 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 that. Man had two sons, you know, older, younger, okay. Um, and the covenant, God says, the covenant is not going to flow along culturally normative lines, which would be the firstborn inherits. Everybody gets that. And God says, actually, no. The covenant rests upon Jacob. God is with Jacob before Jacob has done anything. And I want you to think about the story of Jacob's life as the story of a man who's trying to learn how to be with the God who is already with him. So you remember older brother Esau's kind of dad's favorite, Jacob's mom's favorite. Boys grow up, it seems to become clearer to Jacob and his mother that Isaac hasn't gotten a memo about which boy's the covenant carrier. So it looks like God needs some help in fulfilling the commitment that God has made. So Jacob first fools his brother into selling his birthright and then conspires with his mother to lie to Isaac and cheat Esau out of the paternal blessing. No wonder he has to leave for a while. So Jacob is in the process of putting as much distance as he can between himself and Esau. He falls asleep and he has a dream. 
he sees a, a, a stairway connecting heaven and earth. And angels, the angels of God, climbing up and down the stairway. And at the top is the Lord. And he speaks to Jacob words of covenant and promise. And he speaks unconditionally to Jacob. There's no if you, then I will. It's just all blessing all the way down. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, the Lord says. I am with you. And Jacob awakes from this dream and says, The Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. Sometimes when you awaken from a God-sent dream, sometimes, your first words are your best. You know, as you're still kind of climbing out, coming to consciousness, what was that about? The Lord was in this place. I didn't know it. So how many places are there in our own lives where we're kind of like Jacob? We're asleep. As far as we're concerned, we're in the middle of nowhere. Wilderness, it's dark, it's night. We're kind of on the run. And all we have for a pillow is a rock. So Jacob, and he says, the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The house of God is where God lives. The gate of heaven is an access point, a portal, if you will, that somehow is connecting heaven and earth. Jacob's dream that the Lord gives him is, is this connection between heaven and earth. And he didn't know that's where he was. He didn't know that's where he was. He was in the presence of the Lord who was with him. He was in the house of God. He was at the gate of heaven. And he didn't know that. So I want you to think a little bit about the places in your regular life, the places you go, where you kind of wonder if God's really there or not. You have any places like that? So I'm thinking of places like the mundane and the boring, the everyday routine, commuting, traffic, laundry, chores, needy children, paying bills, the stuff that actually occupies a ton of your time and energy for most of the 168 hours every week that God gives to us all. How about places of discouragement, despondency? Maybe of wrenching conflict and tension. The Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. This is the house of God. God makes himself at home in some pretty strange 
placed. Places of great loss and deep grief. The Lord was in this place. I didn't know it. I want you to think about the places in your soul that you've got taped off with kind of no trespassing or crime scene tape. Like, you know, we, we don't, don't go there. The Lord's in that place, too. Most of the time, we just don't know it. So what, what could it look like to live a with you life towards the Lord in these places? Think about every place you go, every place you go in a day, both externally in the world, internally, kind of in your own soul life. Some of you are starting to smile, right? This is good news. The Lord is in this place, this place, even this place. We didn't know it. So I'd like to propose just a place to start, just a beginning point into a with you life towards the Lord. So the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. Now that I'm waking up, how might I respond? So I want to give you three words. Pray without ceasing. Now, if you're like me, you just heard me say that, and you're thinking, that can't possibly be right. Pray without ceasing is for advanced prayers. <laughs> Pray without ceasing is kind of, you know, that's the PhD level. And... <laughs> Right? Uh, this isn't maybe so helpful. And we tend to think that pray without ceasing must involve a prayer list that's about 27 yards long. Right? Pray without ceasing. So the first, you know, four feet are God bless so-and-so. Right? And then you've got another six feet of God please heal so-and-so. And then maybe another eight feet of ministries and missionaries and, you know, people you support. Anybody getting tired yet? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we still got 20 yards to go, right? Because we think of pray without ceasing as primarily about us telling God things. So... What would it look like to move from saying my prayers, good thing, praying regularly every morning at 4.15? But what might it look like for your life to become prayer? What might it look like for your life to be prayer? 
What if prayer is not primarily something that you do, but someone who you are? The Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. Like Jacob, we've been journeying. We've got some hard miles on our odometers. We may be on the run. We might just have been working really, really hard, either on our own, doing our own thing, or working hard on what the Lord's entrusted to us. We might be lost. We might feel like we're in the middle of nowhere. We might be like Saul of Tarsus, certain that we're on a mission from God, and we know just what that mission is and exactly how to accomplish it. Often, the very first thing we do in the house of God is fall asleep because we're so bleeping tired. We didn't know it, but maybe the first thing that the house of God is, is a place of rest. We didn't know it, but God has arranged our steps, just like he arranged Jacob's steps to bring us into his house. The Lord is in this place. And if we find that we're in the house of God, who does that make us? Welcomed guests. God has welcomed you into this place where he already is, his house. You're a welcomed guest. We're in need of rest and nourishment, and God is our gracious, generous, hospitable host. Welcome to my house. Come on in. Make yourselves at home. Who are we? We are those who are weary of traveling alone. Weary of life is either an attempt to get to God or an attempt to get away from God. We're weary of attempting our journey apart from God with a defective GPS system to boot. And we're hungry, and we're thirsty, and we're no longer nourished by noise, speed, stuff, distractions, and anesthetics. And we're not strangers to God. God is strange to us. Right? That word mystery. Mystery means something you get in on, but you're never in charge of it. A mystery is not something to figure out. It is something to get in on. But you're getting in on something that you have no business trying to find the dials for, right? We're not strangers to God. We're not strangers as we realize that the Lord is in this place. It's his house. And therefore, we're not just guests, we're beloved daughters and beloved sons. The house of God, whatever place it is, is our home, too. So if this is truly who you are in Christ, and the house of God is truly where you are, whatever place you find yourself in currently, what would be a most natural way to begin making yourself at home? Pray 
without ceasing. Now, there is a lot to prayer before it becomes words. There's a lot to prayer before it becomes words. There's a lot to prayer before it becomes words. Before you pray, whether you pray out loud or, or silently, excuse me, the first thing you do is this. Right? First thing you do is breathe in. And I want to suggest that what's happening to you in that moment that you don't even pay any attention to, right? If I just said right now, okay, everybody pray silently for X. You would close your eyes, you'd get, and you'd go. And I want to just look at that in breath. I want to kind of break it down a little bit into what's called deep practice, right? Deep practice is if you're wanting to uh, improve your tennis game and you want to work on your serve, deep practice is you just practice throwing the ball up. You just practice that part of the serve. And then you move on to the next part. You know, you throw it up, and then you just you, you deep practice. You break it into chunks, and you pay attention, and you just work that thing, you know, the tossing the ball in the air, until it kind of becomes muscle memory for you. And then you go on to the next part, next piece, okay? So what's happening when you I'll slow it down a little bit and suggest you're doing three things. Orientation, attention, surrender. Before prayer becomes words, orientation, attention, surrender. Orientation means when I finally start to pray, I turn towards the Lord, right? I recognize, yeah, I haven't been praying about this situation. You know, the, the light goes on. The Lord was in this place. I didn't know it. Now what do I do? So I turn towards the Lord. So as I'm breathing in, I'm turning towards the Lord. The next thing I'm doing is I'm getting quiet. You actually do this every time you get ready to pray and you, you're turning towards the Lord. You're trying to listen and you're surrendering. You're praying to the Lord. You're engaging in communion with the Lord. There's a lot to communion before it turns into words. So orientation, I turn to face the Lord. I remember that my fundamental identity is that in Christ, I have been brought into a redeemed, reconciled, and responsive relationship with the Lord. My first task, if it were, is not to tell God 
what I think or what I want. That's part of prayer. But it's to respond to his presence. I remember years ago, uh, Dan Rather was interviewing Mother Teresa on some TV show. And, uh, you know, Mother Teresa is famous for the reason she's famous. And, you know, Dan Rather says something like, you know, um, when, you're, when you pray, like, what happens? And she says, uh, I'm enjoying God. And he says, well, what's God doing? He's enjoying me, enjoying him. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm enjoying him, enjoying me, enjoying, right? And you sort of see Rather's head just like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, what, the, what? For me, the Hebrew word that captures sort of this orientation, attention, Surrender is a little word, hineni, which means here am I. Right? When God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, Moses, Moses, Moses says, hineni. And my hineni, my here I am, is always spoken into, in response to God's prevenient, prevenient going before. God's hineni, right? The Lord was in this place. God says, here am I. And I think what God's challenging us to do is just how do I live hineni, here am I, back towards the Lord. Jacob thought he was in the middle of nowhere and then came to realize that he was actually in the house of God. What looked like an empty wilderness was the gate of heaven. What if every place you go is somehow overlapped and penetrated by heaven? Instead of saying, uh-oh, what should I do now? What if you just said, Hineni, here am Here am I, Lord, the, the real I. <laughs> Most of ceaseless prayer, prayer without ceasing. And remember, Paul just sort of throws this off. Um, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks. You know, he doesn't say, for those of you who are mature, for those of you who are prayer warriors, he just says, pray constantly because you're always in father's house and therefore why wouldn't you want to commune with the Lord where you are because where you are is where he already is so here's a beginner's tip because all I am is a beginner and I use this tip all the time every time I become aware that I'm not praying. And remember, prayer, before its words, it's orientation, attention, surrender. Every time I recognize I'm not doing that, I just begin afresh. 
right? I don't, I don't have to go back to go. I don't have to pay a $200 fine. I don't need to get a jail, you know, get out of prayer jail free card. I just begin afresh. Right? Every morning, get up at 4.15. Can't do it. Doesn't work. Doesn't. A year later, there I am. How did it happen? The Lord was in this place. I didn't know. <laughs> now, as you know, Jacob spends about 20 years away from home. God is with Jacob, but Jacob doesn't show a ton of interest in being with God. If you wanted to study someone's life as an exemplary, you know, biblical life, Jacob, not so much. I don't think he ever prays. Well, actually, when God appears to him in the dream, you know, and says, I, you know, I'm, everything that is Abraham's, I'm giving to you, you know how Jacob responds? If you will be with me, and if you will bring me home, and if, 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 then I will... Uh, you know, I'll give you a tithe of everything. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, God, what a deal you're getting here. I'm making you an offer you can't refuse. Um, and, you know, I think if you ask Jacob if Laban's house was the house of God for him, he might have said, eh, yeah, but he leaves, you know, with flocks and herds and two wives and two concubines and 12 sons and mighty company. And as he's heading home, he learns that Jacob, I'm sorry, Esau is coming to meet him with 400 armed men. <laughs> this is the welcome that Jacob feared, right? 20 years, time to go home. Uh, he's kind of not welcome at Laban's house anymore, <laughs> right? So what does Jacob do? He, he sends some lavish gifts on ahead to placate his brother. Um, he divides all he has, his family, his wives and concubines and sons and all his flocks and herds into two groups, hoping that maybe one will get through. And then he stays alone on the far side of the river Yabak. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And I think you can maybe see some of the parallels between Jacob's journey away from home and now back home. It's at night. He's kind of in the middle of nowhere. He's alone. He gets a visit from God. This time, a very personal wrestling match. Wrestling is skin on skin. It's, you know, there, there's no closer kind of conflict, if you will, than a wrestling match. And he gets a fresh revelation. So first, heading out, the Lord was in this place and didn't know it. Coming home, he names the place Paniel, which means face of God. The face of God. This is the place of the face. And what does God do? And I think this is a key moment in Jacob, right? God's working to help Jacob live a with you life towards the Lord. And what does God do to Jacob? He slows 
him down. Right? Deal with the hip socket out of joint, and for the rest of his days, Jacob lives. What if the art of learning to pray without ceasing involves learning to live at God's speed? When the second person of the Holy Trinity is incarnated in Jesus of Nazareth, what's his average speed in life? Three miles an hour. Right? Jesus walked everywhere. Now, I don't mean that you can never fly in an airplane, drive a car, right? Because I'm not talking about how fast your body may be moving through space. I'm talking about the pace you're running here. So if Jesus could travel at three miles an hour, And what God did for Jacob to help Jacob learn how to live a with you life towards the Lord, what did God do? He slowed Jacob down. And what Jacob says when he meets his brother Esau, he says, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. The Lord was in this face I didn't want. Right? Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats, right? What separates the sheep from the goats? It was you, Lord. We didn't really understand it. We thought we were just helping feed hungry people and give thirsty people something to drink and naked people clothing and welcome them. You know, we just thought we were... But it was you, wasn't it? It was you. Three miles an hour. What does traveling at three miles an hour internally, a walking pace? What's three miles an hour? Sheep speed. Right? Does Jesus call us gazelles? <laughs> Does Jesus call us cheetahs? Does Jesus call us peregrine falcons? No. And a lot of what I think we end up doing, and I think churches are some of the worst places for this, is we load the sheep into cannons. Right? <laughs> this is you I'm talking about, right? You know, we put you down, and we put you in that dark hole, and we, you know, <laughs> Three miles an hour means that you have time and capacity to actually notice your surroundings, to appreciate how the Lord has designed this part of his house that you now find yourself. You have time and space for conversation with God, with other people, with yourself. 
you have an invitation moving at three miles an hour not to be so harried, so tired, so weary, so exhausted. You have an opportunity maybe to see God's face. How could Esau's face possibly be the face of God? Gerard Manley Hopkins, English poet of the 19th century, has a marvelous little sonnet. He has a lot of marvelous little sonnets. This one is called his Kingfisher's Catch Fire. I want to read you the last couple of lines. Hopkins is the kind of poet you need to listen to. So it's not, huh, huh, huh. You're listening for the, huh. Okay, so here's, here's the last couple of lines. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace. That keeps all his goings, graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. Christ plays in 10,000 places. Isn't that a lovely image? Can you picture what it might mean for Jesus to be at play and remember, play is serious business. When you're a kid, play is serious business. Christ plays in these places where he couldn't possibly be, in those faces where he couldn't possibly be. I have a friend who's psychotic. That's a diagnosis. To be psychotic, means that your thinking is distorted. Your thinking is delusional. And typically delusions of grandeur or paranoia and or paranoia. She's frustrated that prominent universities have not yet sent her her law license and her medical license, even though she's never been to law school or medical school. She's convinced that powerful corporations have stolen the music that she's composed and are playing it all over the world and not giving her any of the royalties. She's been uh, sectioned, that means involuntarily committed to psychiatric treatment just to make sure that she's not a hazard to herself or to other people. She claims to send and receive messages telepathically. And how can I possibly be looking into the face of Jesus when I'm sitting at Starbucks having coffee with her and mainly what I do is just listen? Christ plays 
he faces nothing. So as I've sat with my friend and just tried to understand, Jesus, how could this possibly be you? This woman is disabled by her delusional thinking. So here's some of what has come to me. And again, I'm just a beginner. Sitting with her, I wonder if compared to Jesus, I might be a little off myself. <laughs> My delusions are socially acceptable in ways that hers are not. And my misperceptions of reality don't cost me the way, you know, that they cost her. But I wonder. I wonder if Jesus isn't somehow looking at me through her face and saying, who's the crazy one here, Brian? <laughs> Secondly, I feel like you know, I always leave these coffees and it's like, that was a waste of time. Why this waste? Remember who said that? Ooh, maybe that 60 minutes that I just wasted is a tiny expression of pouring out some love for Jesus. And I would say as my friend has become less invisible to me, this, this friend who's delusional, I think Jesus has become more visible and I can't really explain it. It just happens. So maybe a step towards a with you life in Christ is to learn to see differently, particularly other people, particularly the littlest, the least, the last, and the lost. So let me, let me try and wrap up here. Um, my first suggestion towards a with you life and towards the Lord was pray without ceasing. And the easy thing about that is every time you remember you're not doing it, just start. And maybe start with that word, hineni. And then listen, right? What I do, hineni, Lord, here I am. And then, you know, the 27 yards of, of list come out. But maybe just... Second suggestion I have for you, for you in terms of learning to leave a, live a with you life towards the Lord is befriend someone who is hungry, thirsty, ill, a stranger. Don't do anything foolish or dangerous, at least for starters. Don't get messianic about it. Befriend. Be a friend. Not all the time doing everything together, friends. Not taking vacations together. Not responsible to save them, fix their lives, make everything. Just be a friend. Learn their name. Listen to their story. Even if it's crazy. Maybe meet some of their friends. One of the main forms of suffering that the littlest, the least, the last, and the lost experience is the suffering of being invisible. Jesus is often 
invisible to us. My friend Sarah works in uh, administration for a, a big university health services. And starting about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now on our lunch breaks, she'd, she'd walk outside and notice all the homeless people gathered around the subway station right outside, you know, the admin building. She noticed them. And she started packing an extra sandwich. And on her lunch break, she'd go, got to know their names, heard their stories, ended up going to visit police stations, hospitals, jails. She went to some funerals. And she found within herself a dream starting to grow, a dream of a farm that would bring together abandoned farm animals and abandoned people and see if that farm might be a place where they could help one another. She's done a bunch of research into everything from addiction to incarceration to fundraising to nonprofit business development. She's gotten into conversations with all kinds of people from homeless people to cops to doctors to social workers to folks who run social entrepreneurship accelerators and folks who have money to fund stuff. And I have no idea how her farm idea is going to pan out but she just quit her job at the university to go after it. The Lord was in this place. I didn't know. The Lord was in this face. I didn't recognize it, but now that I do, he knows. Let's eat.